And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done to the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with, um, with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Um, as John uh, said in our kind of call to worship, we are continuing in our series um, really on family traits and, and um, what it means really to be a part of village and uh, some of the things that we kind of uh, hold uh, that shape really a lot of what we do here, our ethos uh, here. Last week we looked at, we're kind of going through our, our mission vision statement, um, which is uh, we as a, as a church, Village Church, desires to be a gospel-shaped community. And that's what we looked at last week, really how we're shaped by the gospel. Um, this week, we're kind of focusing on the community aspect of that. So we want to be a, a gospel-shaped community of people who love Jesus and each other and our city of Belfast as we join God in the renewal of all things. And so um, this morning, we want to really talk about loving Jesus, loving each other, um, community. Um, and there's a lot... We'll never, you could do really a, a multi-week series on each of these aspects. So, uh, but this morning I want us to think about our identity really as a community collectively uh, or as a church. Um, so we are not, there's lots of communities in our city that you could be a part of, um, but a church is a, a different kind of community and, and we're one local expression of the, the church Catholic, the church universal, that's Catholic with a small c, um, in, in that sense, right? And so, um, uh, but to get to that, I want us to, to, to start with how we've even laid out the order in which we um, laid out that vision statement. We want to be a gospel-shaped community of people who love Jesus. That, that's usually kind of obvious, right? That's what marks us out as the church. But then we love each other. Um, and last week we talked about our motivation, and it's the gospel that shapes us, and the gospel really is what motivates us. Um, and that's what motivates us to love each other. It's what motivates us to love Jesus. He loves us first, uh, and then we respond to his love by loving him back. Um, and part of that then is loving what he loves. Um, and one of the things that he has loved is us, that he has set his affection on his people. And so we are motivated by love. We talked about the uh, last week this idea of an expulsive power of a new affection. Um, so... Um, we are naturally bent to just love ourselves primarily more than anything else, right? And we, we live in a culture that celebrates that, exacerbates that, a hyper-individualistic culture, um, self, self-autonomous self kind of culture um, within that. But the gospel then changes us to think uh, differently, that we're not just primarily looking to love ourselves, but we are looking to love other people the way that Jesus has loved us and the way that Jesus has loved other people. Um, and that... Um, changes us. It changes our desires. It changes our motivations on, on how we act, how we spend our time, how we spend our resources, how we spend our energy. Um, that we would try to do, as the scripture says, that we would think of others better than ourselves. That's a radical idea in the world that we live in. Um, we are constantly being shaped to think of thinking of ourselves as better than other people. Um, that we would prefer one another, that we would uh, try to outdo one another in honoring one another. I love that. Just make it a game, like turn it into a competition. Who's going to be the winner? The person who's going to honor other people more than themselves. Um, and so this is how we begin. Um, we love Jesus first, and, and that's how we really and truly love other people. That's our motivation as we rely on the Holy Spirit to do that, as he empowers us to do that, we're not able to, to do that on our own. Um, and so this morning I want to think about maybe what are some of the barriers to that? What are some of the barriers to community or, or barriers to even loving the church, loving other people? Um, and I want to begin by saying, listen, I am sensitive to you this morning if you're a cynic. If you're here a bit cynical, a bit jaded um, about kind of church um, and what that is. Um, we started this church with a ton of folks that, that that's the way they were. Some of them still slightly are, <laughs> right? But I get it. I understand. We can be jaded. There are reasons to be cynical about the church. 
Sometimes it's, it's too political. It feels like it's more of a political entity than a spiritual entity. We don't want to be guilty by association with other people who name the name of Christ, um, but maybe do that in a way that's dishonoring to the Lord or in a way that is confusing to the world. We've maybe been a part of churches that are, are kind of just dead. It doesn't feel like the, there's spirit there. It's not, it's not meaningful to my life in any kind of way. We can be jaded and cynical about people who, well, I, I can kind of overcome these things to, to come and be a part of a church, but I couldn't ever think about bringing a friend of mine who doesn't know Jesus. Um, it's not real. It's not authentic. It's just we all just kind of come and pretend. It's a group of people who kind of put on their Sunday best, put on a plastic face, turn up, and we all act like everything's fine. We all leave kind of our crap at the door, come in here, act like we're all grand, pick it up on the way out, and we'll see you next week. Like, I, I understand, like, how we can be jaded and cynical. There have been times myself as a pastor that I've had to ask myself uh, in, in past churches I've been on staff at. If I wasn't getting paid to be here, would I want to be here? So I understand um, that there are a lot of reasons sometimes that we can be a bit jaded, that we can be a cynical, that we can be a bit put off. Um, The church has not always behaved uh, the way that Jesus would want us to behave. But part of that's because we are not yet perfect. We, we are not yet glorified. We are still sinners struggling through, trying to become more like Jesus, which is why we're given all these commands as the community of God's people to love one another, to forgive one another. That supposes that people are going to do something that you're going to have to extend forgiveness to, that we're to bear with one another, we're to comfort one another, All of these things, assuming that there is sin, that there's offenses taking place, that we are hurting each other in the midst of this, and we hope as we become more like Jesus, as we um, are motivated by the gospel, as his grace becomes a reality in our life, that less of those things happen, as we mature in the faith. And so this morning, I just want us to, to maybe even look at what are some reasons why we don't love the church. Um, The first one I want to start off with is disillusionment. We can be disillusioned, um, and and maybe that's you this morning. And if it is you, I'm really glad that you're here uh, because it means that you've you've given it one more shot. Um, Disillusion, right? We've, We've discovered this idea of like discovering that something isn't as good as you had hoped it would be. Like you had set, we set our hopes on something, um, we have an idea of what that's like, and, and we feel let down by that. Maybe it's leaders that turned out to be um, not as godly as we thought they were, or, or they turned out to be jerks, or we went to a church looking for community, and we just ended up more isolated. It didn't meet our expectations. But when we get disillusioned, we can diminish the value of something, right? We, we think, well, it's not as important anymore. We get disillusioned, we diminish the value of the church, and then it becomes this kind of self-fulfilling prophecy, We don't see her as valuable. We don't see the church as valuable. We don't treat it as valuable. And our despondency, our bitterness, our disillusionment tends to grow. We need to grow in love for the church. And and by that, I mean each other. Um, I don't mean when, again, one of our values here is, um, is to think of church as family. So we don't want to think of church institutionally. Of course, it's an institution at at some level. But how we want to experience the church personally, day in, day out, week in, week out, is as a family. It's it's one of the metaphors that, that the scripture uses, that we are brothers and sisters. We're not associates belonging to the same organization. And so for to grow in love for the church, for each other, as, as, as we said, we do that by looking to its potential. We look to the church's potential according to the scriptures, and we press in to become that together, to love, to care for one another, not just to act like everything's grand, like everything's fine. Like we, the gospel outs us all as knowing that we're not grand and fine. Like if that were true, you wouldn't need Jesus. You wouldn't need the gospel. 
We are here this morning putting our hands up as broken, needy people, needing God's grace and needing to extend that to one another in those times when our faith starts to falter, as it does at times, to have other people come and rally around in times where life um, gets hard and difficult, circumstantially. Um, this past year um, with Sue and I, um, with our, our, my whole journey through cancer and stuff like that, like the church um, was, a, was an immense support during that time. You guys uh, meeting our, our real needs, um, but our spiritual needs as well. Um, and not even just this local church, like the church global, like we, like Christians from literally every continent, um, uh, people that we know that have gone to other places to, uh, to serve the Lord, um, you know, getting a, a FaceTime call from a group of, of Christians in Turkey <laughs> asking, hey, how can we pray for you? How are you doing? Incredible. Um, I want to invite um, Adam and Alex uh, are they here? Are they, oh, there you are. Hey. Um, to come up. They're just going to share um, a little bit of their story of, um, of, in their missional community and, and their experience with, with some of these things um, really kind of over the last um, season of, of their life. Which one do you want to begin? Or, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm Alex, and this is Adam. And... Um, we have a really um, special experience um, of um, being supported by RMC. Um, probably about, it was August um, last year after I'd had Jacob, my um, second um, baby. Um, I became really quickly mentally unwell. Everything had gone really well with um, the birth and everything, but about three months in, um, I became really sleep deprived. And um, yeah, over the course of like a week, um, I went from thinking that I was like kind of totally on my feet to like um, being in a hospital um, separate from my kids, separate from. Um, Adam, Adam <laughs> went from um, like going to work nine to six to uh, how do I get this baby onto a bottle? How do um, I be a full time dad? Um, it was a really um, fast um, kind of I don't want to say a fall from grace because it wasn't a fall from grace, it's fall into grace, but. Um, yeah, so our experience of RMC at that time, like, it was amazing. Like, it was the worst thing that we could have imagined to happen to us. Mm. In lots of ways, it was my worst nightmare. Um, but, um, like, the church is made for moments like that. That was really what we took from it. Um, do you want to say something yeah. about it? <clears throat> yeah, so um, I guess I was kind of like dropped into this situation where I'd had to kind of like work out how to, you know, be a kid and do all that kind of stuff. Um, the, the things that I probably, I mean, there's a big practical support from the MC in terms of like I didn't cook a meal for two months, I don't think. Um, like my family came and stayed with us and they were kind of blown away by that. Um, like there were times when I was pretty low and group of guys in the MC would meet up and pray even down here like on a Saturday afternoon that kind of thing so um catered spiritual emotional physical needs um yeah and I guess I kind of noticed being apart from Alex um that there were other people who were not just like sending thoughts and prayers but actually like like viscerally hurting like and going through this and in a way that was kind of like lifting the burden mm. off me that kind of like need to suffer on my own and, and all that um and i think my family actually um noticed like they go to church as well and uh, you know a couple of their friends were like how surprised they were at how 
much people kind of rallied around us mm. from a church perspective, which I was kind of surprised that they were surprised that this wasn't, wasn't the normal mm. kind of thing, you know. Um, yeah. That's great. That's great. Thanks. Um, I, 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 too, was encouraged. I'm, I'm not in that same missional community, and just to watch um, from afar, to watch um, people rally around, but to watch you guys also press in um, to that. Um, it, it, I think it's easy in some of those situations to want to try to isolate yourself and to, you know, draw away or, you know, whatever our, our kind of motivations for that are, but to watch you guys kind of open yourselves up to, to that as well and, and say, no, this is actually, you know, if we're going to be family, then we're going to do that right and, and, and to, to do that. A lot of people retreat um, within that, and so um, I just want to commend you for that as well. It goes both ways. Like, we have to buy into that and actually see the truth of, of our identity of who we are um, in this together um, for, for that to actually work. So, um, so yeah, um, I'm, I'm grateful for you guys, and, and thanks for, for sharing um, for, uh, with that. And we don't, I wanted to hi- highlight that we could, there's other stories that we could highlight. Um, that doesn't mean that we get it perfect and that we're knocking it out of the park every time. Um, some of you here, your experience might be different. You're like, oh, I, I wish I would have maybe had that. And so we're not going to get that perfect every time. Um, but, but our aim is to, we want to, we want to, to grow in that. Um, so we get a little bit disillusioned. So let me just real quickly, let's look at a few of the metaphors of the churches. I want to, so that we reorient our vision for, for what the Bible actually says we're to be as a community of people. And some of these metaphors, I think, help. Um, first one is the people of God. Um, imagine that. Like God, from the beginning of, of, of our experience of time as a humanity, um, that he has wanted to gather for himself a people to whom and through whom he could reveal himself. Um, this isn't a deity that just kind of like spun the earth out and then is like been distant and, and, and step back and, and kind of be amused to see how things have played out. He has been intimately involved with his people, gathering a people for himself. This is, we can look at several different verses. This is Leviticus 26, 12. I think it's up on the verse. Um, so this is the very beginnings of the scripture and how God is revealing himself to us through humanity. And he says, I will make my dwelling among you, speaking to, to his people, that he's leading out of exile, and my soul shall not abhor you. Um, I, I will set my affection on you. I'll be pleased with you, and I will walk among you, and I will be your God, and you shall be my people. The, the, he has bought a possession for himself. 2 Corinthians 6, uh, 6.16. You can look at Exodus 29.45. 1 Peter sums it up this way. Um, Peter says, you are a chosen race. He's speaking to Christians now. Jews and Gentiles together. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. That is God's possession. That you might proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. You once had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Our sins were many. His mercy was more. And through that mercy, God isn't afraid to be associated with the church. He says, these are my people. Who are your people? Like, that's a phrase that we actually use. Like, oh, man, these are my people, right? Some of you might walk in, like, to... Uh, a, a, a particular kind of coffee shop that values, uh, you know, a particular kind of coffee and, and serving with excellence, you're like, huh, these are my people. And you go into a, a different kind of like cafe or whatever, and you're like, Mm-mm, not my people here. <laughs> Let my people go. They may taste freedom. Whatever it is, like we all have these, we all have like our people. We all, like we as humans just find our wee niches, things that, that you get geeked out and excited about and you find other people and you're like, huh. These people, these are my people. And this is what God says about us. These are my people. He's not afraid to be (coughs) identified or associated with us. He has gone to great lengths to be, uh, to, to secure us as his people through the blood of his own son. Second metaphor that we see in the scripture is that we're the body of Christ. Imagine that. 
Again, we could look to Ephesians 5, Colossians 1. This is 1 Corinthians 12, 27. Just really simple. Now you are the body of Christ. And individually, we make up being the members of it. So collectively, we as individual believers are part of the body of Christ. Village is one expression, local expression of that. Village then, the believers here, we're a part in joining with the other churches globally around the world to be a part of the body of Christ. Christ identifies fully as one with the church. So much so, do you remember when Saul, before uh, he becomes Paul, he's persecuting the church, right? He's, he's persecuting these, these Christians. He's throwing them in jail. He's, he's overseeing executions. And then Jesus shows up, kind of wrecks his worldview because he's like, oh, dang, he is the Messiah. <laughs> Jesus shows up, and what does Jesus say to him? Paul, why are you persecuting me? Now, this is the risen Lord, <laughs> Uh, coming to see Paul. He doesn't say, why are you persecuting the church? Why are you persecuting my people? Although those would have been accurate, he identifies so closely with us as the body of Christ. He says, why are you persecuting me? He takes it personally. Why? Because it's his body. We are his body. We are identified as the body of Christ with Christ as the head. The second metaphor that we see is that we are the bride of Christ. This beautiful picture. Not the wife of Christ. Could have, could have, could have said that. He could have said the spouse, right? Because there's a difference in there, right? <laughs> there's time for reality. Like, I've been married 25 years. Like, I'm, there's no surprises anymore. We, my wife knows my faults. I know her faults. We're aware of those. That you have, you know, the nights where it's just sweatpants and that old stained t-shirt. Like, that's fine. But the wedding day is not the day for those things, is it? Now, the wedding day is where it's your bride. She's perfect. She's looking her best. She's radiant. It's not the day that you're like, well, okay, now there's some faults and flaws here. No, all of that gets overlooked because she's your bride. One of my favorite moments of, um, of, of doing weddings is when the bride walks in and everybody turns to look at the bride. I, I always pause a second because I don't want to look at the bride yet. I want to look at the groom in that moment. The first time, he gets to see his bride. And his face, you can, always, you can tell. The expression of his face changes. His eyes light up. You can see his palms start to sweat a little bit more. Because his bride has arrived. And this is what Jesus calls us. His bride. Look at Ephesians 5. Okay, I'm going to have to turn around and read this one. I need to get my eyes checked here. All right, this is Ephesians 5. Now, he's talking, he's talking to husbands and wives in this passage, but, but there's something more going on. It's not, he's, not, he's talking to husbands and wives, but he's getting at a deeper reality. It's not just about marriage stuff that he's talking about here. This is what he says. He says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And gave himself up for her. That's a pretty tall order for husbands. We're to love our wives sacrificially as as Jesus loves us. That he may sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. So that's what Jesus does for his church, his bride. Then he says, in the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. Jesus nourishes us. He cherishes us. He provides. He protects because he is, we are his bride. Um, Then he references uh, Genesis. Just as Christ does the church, because why we're members of his body, therefore a man shall leave his, his, uh, his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it is, refers to Christ and the church, Christ and his bride. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. There's something in God's relationship with his bride that then we as husbands and wives are meant to, to disseminate from that and then act according to each other in that kind of way. Now, we can talk about the marriage bit later, 
um, and we'll get to that probably some in, in, our, in our next series in 1 Corinthians. But what I want us to look at is this idea of, of what Jesus does and how he sees us as his bride. And, and notice the reference to one flesh. He says a man and a wife, they leave their respective parents and they become not two things, but two things now become one thing. They're united together. And in that union, they, they become one thing, one entity, one flesh. And he says, and, and that's true, but he says, what I'm really looking at is the deeper mystery of Christ and his church. You and I, as the bride, become united to Christ. We are un- we, there's a union that takes place there. That's why we can be called his body. That's why he says, a, a husband, when you're loving your wife, you're really loving yourself because you are now unified together as one, as one flesh. Christ loves us. He loves his body. And um, Christ forgives us of our sins. He purifies us. He's united to us. He's committed to us so much so that he would lay down his life for us. Do we see the church as as valuable as he does? Do we see the body of Christ as valuable as he does? Do we see the church as this glorious bride of Christ? And not always, right? Sometimes it's these jokers I got to go to MC with who do my head in and like, right? God, forgive us of that. Like we need to be reminded and reoriented of what this thing is that we uh, belong to. And we also need to be reminded that we are a part of, of that as well. We're a part of those jokers that sometimes need to be um, born to be bared with. Born with? Bared with? The, the next metaphor then is that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. This is the last one we'll look at before we move on to the um, other, other reasons. Look at 1 Corinthians 3.16. He says, do you not know that you, now, now this you is a plural, right? So if you're in the South of America, it might say, do you not know that all y'all are God's temple, right? Or usins are God's temple. So it's a plural you. Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that God's spirit dwells in all y'all, in, in usins? If everyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him for God's temple is holy and you we, God's church, are that temple. Isn't that amazing? The temple is where God's spirit would dwell in the Old Testament. He didn't dwell in his, in, in his people yet at that time. It was in the Holy of Holies. And actually, only one person, the high priest, was only allowed to enter that place one day, one day out of the year. God's spirit was, was in this Holy of Holy places. It was inaccessible to the rest of us. With this veil, this curtain. And yet, when Jesus is crucified, he says, it is finished. The work of Jesus is completed. And the veil in the temple in that moment in Jerusalem is torn into two. Giving us access to. We become where the Spirit of God now indwells. If you're a follower of Jesus this morning... You're indwelt with the Holy Spirit. He's empowering you. We collectively, as the church, are the place where God dwells. The Old Testament says that he inhabits the praise of his people. God is here. He is present with us now. God isn't afraid to inhabit the church. As messy as it is, as imperfect as we are, has so much more room for growth and maturity that we need. God doesn't say, well, you're, you're at about a 5.5. When you get to maybe a 7, that'll be good enough. I'll move in then. It's not like a, a house that you buy that needs a bunch of work, so you don't, you don't even move in yet because you've got to renovate that stuff before you move in. He just buys that old shack and moves in right away and then does the renovation work from the inside. It might be easy to say, yeah, well, okay, that's the universal church. I get that. I understand that. Okay, yeah, God does that. But like a local church, this is a local church. And, you know, you can see all those blemishes and, and the, the damp in the walls and, you know, the carpet that needs to be replaced. Like you can see all that in a local church. Um, 
Do we have Acts 20, 28 up there? Do I have that one? This is Paul. He's meeting with a group of local elders. He's saying goodbye to the Ephesian elders. And he's giving them instructions. Local elders in a local church. And he says, be careful. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock. Now, that, he's not talking about the universal church there. He's not talking about them being leaders of, of the church global. This flock that you have, in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God. Now, overseers don't always do that very well. That's our job as leaders is to care for the flock. To care for the church, that local church, that one congregation of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Now, that's true for the universal church. But he's talking to a group of local elders about their local church, their local flock. That God obtained that church. God God obtained village. Those of us that make a village with his blood. We're to care about that. We're to care for that as Jesus does. Give these local elders and the local church, the church of God that he calls it. He cares enough to, to, to put overseers And that's what we should do. We should care for, not use, not abuse, not build platforms with. We're here as leaders to care for the church the way that Jesus cares for it. So I understand that we can be disillusioned at times. We need to reorient our vision for how God sees and thinks about the church. We need to see it that way, and then we need to participate in it that way. So that we can be the church that pleases God. That we would actually love Jesus and that we would love each other well. Love each other the way the Bible defines love. Sacrificial love within that. Second thing then, um, one of the barriers that, that can be is distraction. Right? We can just get really distracted. We live probably in the most distracted time period in history. Um, we have everything like at our fingertips. You can be as distracted as you want to be. Right? But, but even outside of that, we, we live busy lives. We live busy lives. We live hectic lives. We as humans have limited capacity. You have limited energy, all of these sorts of things. And if we're not careful, church can be this community that it's just one of several things that we kind of juggle, right? So it's a ball that we kind of juggle. So I've got work. Um, you know, I've got my friends. I've got um, you know, the gym. I've got my kids. I've got my kids' friends, my kids' sports, my, you know, all those things start to exponentially kind of increase. Like, there's a lot of things that we're kind of juggling in the air, um, and one of those things is church. And, and eventually, you get to a place, well, a few balls, you know, kind of drop, and you hope church is one of the bouncy kind that doesn't break, but it bounces. So, okay, I can pick that up again in that kind of way. But it's, according to the Bible, that's the wrong way to think about church. It's not just another thing that we juggle. Oftentimes, we see the church as something other than us, right? It's something outside of us. So, so there's me, and then there's the church. And it's, so I have the church, I have my job, I have, you know, these other things. And I kind of plug in and out of them, and I'm in these different kind of spaces. And it just sometimes gets a bit disrupted. We can see the church as something outside of ourselves, and then pastors, we get nervous about that kind of stuff. We want to try to keep people. So we have conferences and we think about things. And how can we make church less disruptive? But that's not really the way the Bible tells us to think about these things. The scripture would tell us that the problem isn't that church is too disruptive. But really our gospel isn't disruptive enough to our Western lives to totally reorient our lives around Christ and his people first. So that that really becomes the center of our life. It becomes not just something that we go to or something that we do, something that we attend, but it becomes who we are. Who we are. I, I, I don't go to church. I, I am the church. It's who I am. As a, it's my new identity. I, am a, I, I belong to Jesus now. I belong to his people now. And again, for the, for the cynics in the room, of which I have a lot of sympathy for, like, I'm not saying this as a leader of an organization concerned about growing the organization. I'm not saying this as, you know, for my own job security. There are easier, better paying jobs than this one. 
And so if I'm in this for my comfort and money, I am failing miserably, all right? I love my job. It's not a complaint. But I say this as a fellow sheep, as, as an under-shepherd, one of those people that's meant to care for you, wanting us all to go and graze in the right pastures, orienting our, our being, our identity of how we see us, how we see each other, how we see ourselves in light of, of the gospel being shaped by that, and to see that rightly. Um, we've, we try to be careful with language, so we don't call this like our service, because that idea of like a service is, is a, it's kind of a consumer kind of way, right? Oh, the service there was good, it's not good. We can kind of think about that way. We intensely call this our gathering for a reason, because this isn't, this isn't the church, it's just the place the church gathers. This is the building in which the church gathers. I, I really try my best not to refer to this building as the, as the church. We literally call it the building. And that's not me trying to be pedantic or semantics in, in that. That's, those things communicate something. We are the church who gathers in this place, in this building. We have to think about these things the right way. If you're a Christian, you don't go to church. You gather with the church. You, you are the church. Let's look at the text that we read from this morning. And um, we see this description of really the early church, the fellowship of the believers, right? And, and, and notice the language that's used. So this is, the context is this is uh, the early church in Jerusalem. At the, before, um, this, before this description, there was 120 people. So you had 120 Christians. And then after this powerful sermon, the church grows to 3,120 people in one day. Right, so that, that, that church kind of exploded in growth. Now, I'm trying to think like being the disciples in that context. You have 120 people. That's probably about what's in this room right now-ish. Imagine us next Sunday gathering, and there's 3,000 more people among us. Like, just the organizational leadership that that would take is way above my pay grade, Right? Like, just trying to think, how do you care for that? And they do. They have to get more organized. They have to, like, appoint deacons, and they have to make sure these people are being taken care of. And, and we see that happen in the book of Acts. But this is the description that we get. They devoted themselves. These people became devoted. And what were they devoted to? The apostles' teaching? The teaching, the apostolic faith that it's referred to that's passed down is the truth about who Jesus was as their Messiah, what he had accomplished on the cross, that he was risen from the dead, the core of the gospel and the implications of that. That's what they were devoted to. And the fellowship. They were devoted to one another. They were devoted to being together, to the breaking of bread, to the prayers. And all came over every soul. And many wonders and signs, the power of the Holy Spirit was evident being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. That means that, the, that what's mine is yours, what's yours is mine. Like, we're going to share our life together now. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the, pro, the proceeds to all um, as any had need. So those that had plenty were helping those that didn't have enough. And day by day, not Sunday by Sunday, or it was day to day. It was, it was every day. What were they doing day to day? Attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes together. They were eating together and receiving their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And because of all of that, the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. They were on mission. You have gospel, community, mission, all right there. But they devoted themselves. They were caring for one another. It happened day by day. Why? Well, from, from their standpoint, they were devoted. They devoted themselves to that. The Holy Spirit empowered and honored that. Why? Why would they devote themselves to that? Why one day were they not devoted to this thing and 3,000 of them later the next day were devoted to this thing? Because their world was changed by the good news of who Jesus was. He was the Messiah. He was alive. He had broken the power and curse of sin. The Holy Spirit had entered into them and their community. 
Their lives were never going to be the same again. They were completely reoriented in their identity of who they were. And so they devoted themselves to these things. The answer to distraction in our life is devotion. It's being more devoted. Here's the thing that you'll see throughout the scripture. Discipleship, this, the, the thing that we call you know, growing more like Jesus, our, our kind of sanctification as we do that in community together. Discipleship does not work on the fringes. It just doesn't. The people who kind of stay on the fringes that we see in the scripture, they kind of stay, stay on the edge. Kind of, they're not the ones who are actually growing. Jesus is like, hey, you got to take up your cross. You got to deny yourself. You got to follow me in devotion. The answer to distraction is devotion. So what's the next step for you? Because we're all at different places here. And that's fine. Like it really is. Like, if you're here and you're like, I'm not even a Christian yet, I'm just trying to check this out, like, great. Some of you may have, may have been a Christian for a while, but are still kind of on the edge, still kind of on the fringe. What's the next step for you? Maybe it's just committing to be here, just to being present. I'm not going to let these other distractions, I'm going to be present. That might mean, like, formalizing that membership, right? We've got this intro class coming up at the end of the month. The following month, we'll have Belong. Those two classes basically make up how you kind of become a member here, belong here. Figure out intro. This is kind of who we are, our vision, our values, what we're about. Um, if that all sounds good, you're like, no, this, I think this is more. I want to know more. Belong is the next step in that then. We kind of go into like how we're governed more deeper into like our beliefs and, and what we believe and what it means to be committed um, here and what it means to be here and have other people committed to you. Maybe it's committing to a missional community. Maybe it's like, oh, I've been coming on Sundays. I really enjoy it here, but I don't, what's the next step? For us, the next step is joining a missional community. Be known by, by like other people. Even in a group this size, hard to know everybody. Hard to, hard to be known meaningfully by this many people. Like break that down into smaller, smaller groups where you can be known, but where you can know other people where you can be served, but where you can serve other people. Use your gifts. Serve, like get involved in using your gifts. Some of that is here in this building when we gather. Some of it's in an MC. Some of it's not in either of those contexts. There's lots of different ways to serve. Um, the best way to do that is just fill in one of those cards. Um, so John and Allie are gonna be at the back at the coffee desk afterwards. If you wanna know how to get into an MC, um, see them. They'll get your information. We'll be in touch. Where do you live? Where are the MCs in your area? We'll do that. We also need to do we need to do a better job of kind of making space for four people. Um, so some of our MCs are are kind of full and need to multiply. And if you're in one of those kind of MCs, have that conversation. That might be the next step. Some of you in your MC might need to go. You know what? I'll lead. I, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'll lead. Our group is full, which means we don't have room for anybody else. Let's multiply this into two, and I'll help lead one of them. We'll create space for more people. We need a bolder, bigger um, vision um, for, what, for what the church is. Maybe that's taking a, 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 a scarier step. It might even be going into ministry. It might be going to Moldova with Mark and I. To go and actually just share the gospel one-on-one with people for five days straight. You know you're devoted when you stay committed when it's hard. Right? When it isn't easy. Being devoted when everything's going great, that's not that hard, right? Like, no offense to like Man United fans in the room, but like not hard to be devoted to a team that's like always in the top four or whatever. I know you're in a bit of a rough patch now, but like historically, right? Like, but like a, I'm trying to think of it. Um, we're going to get to the, the end of my knowledge of football really quickly here, but like a Crystal Palace, they're not good, are they? Like, eh, eh, whatever, whatever, um, Brompton or I don't know, whoever, like I've never, yeah, that's a team, right? Like, no, yes, I don't know. Some team that never wins. Like, but you're, you're one of those devoted fans. Like, no, this is my team through thick and thin. Like, I respect that. 
I respect that. I could go NFL, but now I would lose all of you except for the guys on my fantasy team, and it starts tonight. Yes, I'm excited. All right. Anyway, back to, back to things we'll all understand. Being devoted to something when it's just like easy, no big deal, isn't really devotion. That's just like, that's just easy. Devotion is when it's hard. Being devoted in a marriage, like on your honeymoon, uh, that was pretty easy to be devoted on our honeymoon. It was great. Like we were on a cruise in the, in, the, in the Caribbean. It was warm. Like we were beautiful people and thin and it was amazing. And it was great. And like, you know, like easy. 25 years, you got kids, like cancer, like it's like life hits you and like time takes its toll. It's harder. You got to be devoted. Like you got to be committed. Third thing then, third reason it's hard, and I got to move very quickly, is disconnectedness. We're working to make it easier to get connected. Um, we're at this kind of place at, at, at a church where like all the church experts, you know, these conferences we go to, um, there are things that tend to be true, and like the size of church we're at right now is, is a barrier. Like that 200 kind of mark, a lot of people find it hard to kind of break past that. Now, we're not in it because we got to grow. We got to be bigger. Like, I don't get, that's, uh, that's not our motivation. Our motivation is to be healthy, and sometimes it's healthy as you start to hit certain, certain marks. So we want to do a better job to make it easier to get assimilated in, right? And that, that is working with MCs. To make space. That is making it, even as you come here, like having some signage, where am I going? Where are my kids supposed to go? Like helping with our kids' ministry, trying to get that more um, organized and efficient. Because when you're a smaller church, you can kind of do things relationally, organically, and, and then you kind of grow and you're like, okay, things have to be a little more formalized, they have to be a little more organized. We're trying to be better at that. We know we could be better at that. The more people, the more organization. Again, we see this even in Acts as they explode in growth. They're like, hey, these widows over here aren't being taken care of. And they're like, okay, we need people to like look after certain areas. And so we have deacons in our church. And that's, so that's what we do, right? Those people that lead ministry areas, lead missional communities for us. That's a deacon kind of level. They're here to actually help carry ministry along. We need to do better at that. But the other side of that is don't approach this as a consumer, Church isn't something that we kind of think about as a consumer, right? It's not, or like dating in an immature kind of way. Like, it's okay to date people, but there's an immature kind of way of dating where, like, you don't really have any intention of committing. You're just kind of in it for, you know, a good time or a free dinner or, like, whatever it is, like, you're in it for. But, you know, you're just kind of playing the field or you may be kind of playing hard to get, you know. I want you to love me. I want you to pay attention to me, but not over the top, not in a creepy, like just in a normal kind of amount of kind of way. And we can kind of think about the church in this consumeristic kind of way. Um, but we need to think about it in a, in a different kind of way. The book of Hebrews helps us a little bit. It was written to a people who are enduring hard times, finding it hard to be devoted because they're being persecuted and things like this. And being counted among God's people was hard for them. Some of them were discouraged. Some of them were, were leaving. Or, and the writer focuses most of this on who Jesus is, um, which is a way to stir our affections again. But then he encourages them to be uh, together and to do that a certain way. And so Hebrews 10, 19 to 25, this full assurance of faith. Again, notice where he starts. Therefore, brothers, that's brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, again, that's the... the presence of God, by the new and living way that he opened us through the curtain. I've already talked about that. That is through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest, that is Jesus, over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from all evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. And then what does he say? So because of the gospel, because Jesus is done, because of who you are in him, essentially, let us hold fast, don't give up, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider, in light of all of that, how to stir one another up, how to stir one another to love and to good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near, that is the day of God's return. When we're discouraged, when we're finding it difficult, we stir one another up, we encourage one another and to do that, then we have to be present among one another. He says, draw near with a full assurance of who you are in Christ, of who Christ says he is, what Christ has promised to us. Hold fast. Don't waver. 
And, and, and so how do we do that? How do we hold fast? How do we not waver? He, he gives, we, we need to stir one another up, not neglect gathering, encouraging one another. We need this because this is how God actually designed us to work in community. Jesus designed us as an image, and his image is in community. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And then the last one as we end, discouragement. We can be discouraged, right? And we kind of looked at rethinking um, uh, about the church in these metaphors, but I want us to think about it again on, on how we can have courage, not what the church is, but what our kind of manifold destiny is. Look at Matthew 16. This is Jesus um, talking to his disciples, and he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, I think that rock that he's talking about is this statement of who he is, who Jesus is, not necessarily Peter. On this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples at that time yet not to tell anyone who was the Christ. We can be discouraged. We can often think, oh, the church, you know, is failing. It's so weak. Look at society. It's getting more evil, and the church is just being diminished and sidelined doesn't seem like being identified with the church in our cultural moment right now is a very winning strategy. But the reality is we are victorious. Hell, Satan and his schemes will not prevail. It may seem like you're winning or like you're losing. You ever, I'm going to go back to a sports metaphor, sorry. But you ever have your team and they're just getting slaughtered at like halftime? This happened two Super Bowls ago. Team was down like 30, by like 32 to 3 or 28 to 3, and I went to bed at halftime because it was like 2 in the morning. I was like, this is a terrible game. And woke up the next morning to see that they had rallied and come back and, and won. So what, it looked like they were down and out. And in that moment, you're like, this is pointless. This is terrible. You got to wait to the end. <laughs> Time isn't up yet. The reality is, we will not. We will be victorious. Satan and hell will not prevail. Now, that doesn't mean that we have some kind of swagger. We walk around engaging in some kind of culture war. No, our war is not with flesh and blood. It's not with other people. We love, we'll talk about this next week, on mission with joy, but with freedom and confidence because we know who God is and what he's promised to us. Ephesians 3, last one. This is an astounding kind of verse. To me, though, I am the very least of all the saints. This is Paul. Uh, This grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to life for everyone is the plan of the mystery hidden in ages of God who created all things so that through the church, that's through us, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. That's crazy. How will the manifold wisdom of God be revealed to the authorities the spiritual authorities in heavenly places through you and me. Like, that doesn't seem like a good plan. If I were God, I think I'd come up with a different plan. Really? You know, like, Satan's like, really, these jokers? And he's like, yeah, those guys. Those, those are my people. I love those guys. I'm going to demonstrate my manifold wisdom through them. Which is probably why Satan's like, oh, this is an easy win for me. And then he gets in and he tries to mentally do all that. And he, he, he just can't because the gates of hell, Jesus promised. No, these guys have my spirit with me. They'll fail. They'll mess it up. They'll, they'll, they'll be dumb at times. There'll be people who say they're Christians. They're not actually part of my people. Like it's, a, it's a messy kind of deal. But the manifold wisdom of God is going to be revealed through them. This was according to the eternal purposes, purpose that he had revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. In whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. The whole context of him telling them this is because he was imprisoned. He is suffering. He's like, don't lose heart because of that. I know it looks like we're losing, but the manifold wisdom of God is being revealed through all of this. So take heart. Maybe our vision for the church is just too small. 
Tony Evans says this. It's, uh, I think it encapsulates a lot of this. He says, far too often we have limited the definition of the church. Well, not in all cases, but many cases, churches become an informational, inspirational weekly gathering. Rather than the group of people God has ordained from heaven to operate on his behalf on earth in order to bring heaven's viewpoint into history. How could you not be excited about that, devoted to that? Can we get disillusioned? Yes. Can we be distracted? Absolutely. Feel disconnected and discouraged? Yeah. I can identify with all those at different times in my walk with Jesus. But in each of those, what's brought me back is being devoted, renewing a vision of the church, of God's perspective, a people empowered by his spirit to stir one another up, encourage one another for one another and our world as we embody and share the incredible life-changing good news of Jesus. That's the kind of people we are <laughs> or we should be, we aspire to be. We want Village to be that kind of a people, shaped by the gospel. And next week will look like what that does then is it energizes us out. Um, plenty to talk about in our MCs and with each other this week. Um, we're, not, we're not doing this perfectly. We need to grow in some areas. We wanna, we're aware of that. We want to continue to press into that. But that means y- us doing that together. It can't be you sitting there going, hey, you guys up there should get your act together. I mean, yeah, we should, but, we, but, that, but we're just, we're with you as well. Like, we all got to do that. We all got to get in and row behind each other. And what will it mean for the next season of Village? Well, that's not for you to just sit passively and wait for, you know, elders and leaders to decide. Like, that's us together being what God has commanded us to be. Let's pray. Father, What a glorious um, vision of of your people. Um, It is inspiring, Father. It does, I hope, reorient us or or at least give us that desire to stir up a desire in us to to reorient our life, not to just see church as this entity outside of ourselves, this thing we kind of engage with here and there, but we are your people, bought by you with the blood of your own Son, and dwelt by your Holy Spirit to be a community and in the way that we even are as a community, is the way that we uh, reorient our lives to that, is that just even in itself is a witness to the world. That our priorities are different, how we use our resources uh, is different, that we willingly say that we are not the center of our story is a, a pretty radical, countercultural way to live. And Father, we, we know that's the point. Um, but Father, we just confess um, there are times where we get a bit disillusioned, we get distracted, just get discouraged at times. We feel like chucking the whole thing in. We've been hurt, we've been wounded by other people. Father, there might need, need to be re, real work done there. We might need to actually go and have hard conversations and seek forgiveness or extend forgiveness. This isn't just... Uh, some, some kind of vision that we just kind of paint and, and just kind of all sweep everything under the rug. Like, no, we do the hard work of like forgiving one another and loving one another and bearing with one another and honoring one another and supporting one another. Father, we would actually find this place to be the most life-giving place. It doesn't mean it's easy. Um, but Father, I pray by your spirit that we would be devoted to you that, and, and because of that, then we're devoted to your bride. We're devoted to one another. Would you help us to do that better? Would you help us to do that well? Would you help us to be um, that family, that, uh, a family of believers that, that honors you well, that, that displays the beauty of Jesus uh, in the way that we are in community together? And Father, we pray that that would uh, lead other people to be curious, that they would ask those kind of questions about um, why we are the kind of community that we are. Why would we sacrifice our own time and energy for other people? Why would we do these sorts of things, Father? It's because of you. It's because of your uh, body broken, your blood shed for us. Because we were once not a people, and now we are. And so, Father, we come even to the table now to be reminded of that, to be shaped by that.
uh, that we are not our own, that we've been bought with a price uh, through your body broken, your blood shed uh, for us. So may we come to receive bread and wine joyfully, um, gratefully, and being reminded of the cost of, of what it, um, the cost that you paid to secure us as your people. I ask this in your name.